excited that God still does great things. Just say amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing to declare that the Lord has done great things in the past and He still does great things in our day. We can just join with those that have gone before us in thanking God for His goodness in the past and His faithfulness to His people throughout all things. I welcome you this morning to Cross Timber. It is good to be here to worship with you together, whether you're seated here whether you're joining online, whether you're seated in a different spot than you normally sit, or whether you're sitting in the same spot that you always sit in, we are glad to see you. And if you are visiting with us this morning, welcome. I'm in the name of the Lord. Welcome to Cross Timber. And I hope by now um, several folks have already came and introduced themselves and offered their hand to shake hands with you and just let you know that you are welcome here because you are, and we are glad to join together in worship. We're going to read um, in Isaiah chapter 40 in just a moment. And we'll save um, any announcements or anything to the end. But I just want to just give you a couple of things that you um, should be praying about if you're not praying about. First is Embrace Grace starts um, two weeks from today. So the word is going out through the pregnancy centers, through the schools. Um, it's on um, Facebook and social media. So you can, can find that and you can share it with anyone. Um, and we are praying that, that God will use this um, to minister to those um, young ladies in our community. And so um, just be praying for that ministry. Pray for, for Deborah Gillum, for, um, just forgot her name. Hang on, hang on, don't tell me, I'll get it. Um, for Brenda Ranson and for Shelly Midkiff. Um, I knew Brenda would call out her name if I didn't get it right really quick. So and pray for those ladies as they, they lead in that ministry and as they are our contact persons um, for Embrace Grace. And then also, just a reminder, be praying for, for God to bring along those families that he would choose um, to be a part of our body from First Baptist Burleson. We are thankful of their, their willingness to partner with us, and we'll find out more about that in weeks to come. And um, there will probably be an opportunity for a, a formal invitation um, for the individuals to make a decision. And, um, and so that may be a few weeks away, but we're praying. Thank God send us the people um, that you would have um, to be a blessing and that we would be a blessing to them. And so uh, those are a couple of things to pray about. I want us to read this morning Isaiah chapter 
40, starting in verse 25. I want you to think about a couple of things. The, the greatness of our God, His power to save, and the, the wonderful strengthening that He provides for His people. Verse 25, Isaiah chapter 40 says this, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like Him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So see the stars in the heavens and recognize the greatness of our God. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's the word of the Lord. Gentlemen, will you come as we receive our offering this morning? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks this morning for the opportunity to come here and to worship together with brothers and sisters and just to hear your word, sing songs to you, Lord, lift up your name. And we want to take this time to give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with, Lord. And we just ask that you would use it to further your kingdom in whatever way you see fit as we listen to your voice. We pray this and give thanks in the name of Jesus.
So we 
God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has appointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22.
Father, we just bow before you this morning. And Lord, we acknowledge you as holy and righteous and good. And Lord, we thank you this morning for your precious word that we can stand on. So Lord, this morning we just come before you with humble hearts and ask you to invade this space with your very presence. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
Hebrews chapter 7, where you can turn in your Bible or look up on your your phone. And as always, it's a pleasure to worship together with you in, in singing. And my goodness, it's just, it's such a blessing to know that, that God speaks through music that is 200 years old and is 10 years old. And as long as it lifts up the name of, of Jesus, I'm okay with it. And we are thankful that He does indeed live. I have to be honest from the get-go that I had to spend some time driving from our house to the church um, in confession and repentance. Um, Samara was my witness. Um, We, um, I've been longing for a dog since our um, Cocker Spaniel passed away, and I finally received what I longed for yesterday, but realized very quickly that I was not nearly prayed up enough. And I'm my patience was tried, tested. Um, I was admonished by my family to be glad and joyful because I'm the one that wanted a puppy. And um, his name is Finnegan. He goes by Finn. And um, 
I, I've wanted to rename him Huckleberry Finn and, and some other things, but he is Finn. Um, he's very cute. He's very energetic. And um, we are enjoying the excitement of puppyhood. He's six months old and um, he's a free-flowing fountain. That's all I'm going to say. drinks like a fish and then it just in and out so so he and I are becoming really good friends um, and I was so thankful last night about 10:30 when he uh, fell asleep right beside me while I was working and I was like oh my gosh he's sleeping it's great so that is one area the second area that thing is because I'm I, I, I seem patient on the outside but on the inside I'm just this wad of turmoil that happens. Um, I also need just to confess that I, I lost patience with um, a, a digital assistant that was supposed to be helping me do shoulder exercises. Um, I, I was was working and I've made some progress, but there's a couple of the motions that they don't like the way I'm doing it, but I don't know how to do it any different. And and so after the fourth time of this very pleasant voice telling me, keep keep um, keep arm at shoulder height, Keep arm at shoulder height. I was like, I don't know what to do. And so, again, I was encouraged to be patient and remember that it was a blessing and not um, a burden. And so um, I say that because um, sometimes in life we take for granted the things that that God provides for us. And um, I want you to be encouraged in that, that um, when we do have those times, we just tell God that we're sorry, we confess, we repent, and we move forward. Um. Some of you may have been very excited to hear that Thursday was the 20th anniversary of Pumpkin Spice. Pumpkin Spice season started officially at Starbucks, and the store was inundated with these pumpkin-starved people piling in to get pumpkin muffins, pumpkin lattes, pumpkin frappuccinos, pumpkin spice cold brew with pumpkin cold foam, each with this magical blend of Cinnamon, ginger, allspice, clove, and nutmeg, but surprisingly, no pumpkin. And so I was reading, and and in honor of this, the New York Post had an article about this, and it actually cites um, data from research from psychologists and researchers, and this is what they said. Why do we love this particular flavor so much? Turns out we love to be reminded of fall and the warm feelings of family, home, and nostalgia the season brings. And our brain associates those warm feelings with this particular flavor. So that's the reason. In other words, that when people hear the word pumpkin spice or smell pumpkin spice, at least in some people's minds, it triggers the thought of fall. And while that's a really pleasant thought because, you know, we're still in the middle of summer because, you know, they started pumpkin spice at the end of August and fall is far away, but it still is a reminder that change is coming. And while there may not be any pumpkin in pumpkin spice, for many that seems to be a source of great hope. And I hope it's hopeful for you this morning to know that we have reached the halfway point of our study through the book of Hebrews. And the halfway point is going to be the stopping point for the foreseeable future as we launch into this fall season. And we, I want us to think about, you know, our, the idea of hope and what our, our mission can be and should be to offer out 
the hope of Jesus to a hurting world. And so, so next week and the following weeks, we'll be talking about that. Just how you and I can practically offer up hope in the places that we go, to the people that we see. And then sometime later, we will revisit Hebrews picking up in chapter 8. But we've seen so far that hope is real because Jesus is alive and because he's better than anything. And change has come because Jesus came. And everything that the Old Testament alludes to and speaks of, Jesus is and is better. Now, I'm not trying to compare, if you're going that way, I'm not trying to compare the Old Testament and pumpkin spice. But I do want you to get the idea that some things should trigger in our mind other thoughts. And so when we read our Old Testament, we should see that it points to Jesus and should make us think about Jesus. And this morning, we're finally going to look at this mystery man, Melchizedek, that's mentioned just briefly in Scripture to see how he resembles Jesus, to also see that the priests of the Old Testament were inferior and temporary, and then spend some moments at the end exploring the greatness of the fact that Jesus is not only a perfect, but he's our permanent high priest. And so laying those thoughts of lattes aside, think about this. Through Jesus, there is complete salvation and unrestricted access to God. Now, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but I do want to start reading in chapter 7, beginning with verse 20, and reading down through verse 28, and then we'll pray. We'll look at these verses together. So chapter 7, verse 20, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath, by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful to gather together in your name. We're thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful for your role as our mediator. We thank you that through you we have access to God. And we ask for your help this morning, Lord Jesus. Help us to see that in you there is complete salvation and through you we have unrestricted access to God. Open our hearts and our minds and change us and transform us by your word. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Now in beginning, we need to go back to chapter 5 and remember. Now we don't have time to read it in whole, but let me just hit some highlights. Jesus is the high priest that we need. No other priest could ever do what Jesus has done for us and is still doing. 
He's the priest forever. He's the source of eternal salvation. And He didn't come after the line of those Levitical priests, after Aaron, the brother of Moses, but after the order of this man called Melchizedek. So we need to find out who is Melchizedek and why is he important. And so to help us with that, the author visits the story that you can read about in Genesis 14 when Abraham meets this man. We'll have to remember that connection between Jesus and Melchizedek that happens in the author's favorite psalm, Psalm 110, that he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we'll see that this man Melchizedek points toward or is a a type of Jesus. Now when we say that word type, you might think kind or something like that, but really it's just a way that we understand that sometimes in the Old Testament, stories or figures point toward Jesus. Now, they're, they're not perfect representations. It would be like, you know, a pencil sketch drawing. It's merely shadows, and Jesus is the ultimate reality. And so we'll see that this man, Melchizedek, is a type of Christ, or as you see in your bulletin, the first point is that Melchizedek pictures the perfect high priest. Now, the story in Genesis 14 is brief, but it's very interesting. Abraham, after this victory over four invading kings and the rescue of his nephew Lot, is met by this man, Melchizedek. The scripture tells us that Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham, or Abram, and he brings bread and wine along, and during that time, he blesses Abraham. And in response to the greatness that Abraham recognizes, he offers a tenth of the spoils of war to this king, Melchizedek. And the first two verses of chapter 7 give us a brief summary of that story. And then we don't hear any more about it. So what do we know? We know that the Bible tells us that he is Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. But then he also is named there in the text, as the king of peace. And verse 2 says he's first by translation of his name, and that points out that he's king of righteousness, and he's also king of Salem, Shalom, the king of peace. And there's some important details from the story that we need to understand, that the author wants us to know. And the first thing is that Melchizedek receives an offering or tithes from Abraham. Now he uses this illustration to make the point that this king, Melchizedek, is a great man. It's the idea that someone inferior or secondary blesses someone who is superior. And so the greatness of this king is recognizable to Abraham. Otherwise, why in the world would he give him you know, a part of the victory treasure? Now, the other significant feature that we find out is that this man, Melchizedek, in the Bible, there's no record of his genealogy, and there's no beginning or end mentioned. He just pops into the the Bible, and he's there. Now, genealogy can be very interesting to study. You can hope to find out where you came from, you know, who your people were. And we can read about in Matthew that long list of the 
genealogy of Jesus, all those begats that wind up with the baby born in Bethlehem. But you don't find any of that for this man, Melchizedek. There's not a birth record. There's no death record. His parents aren't mentioned. And there's not any descendants. Got nothing. And so the author uses that lack of genealogical information to suggest that Melchizedek was a forever priest. Now we have to recognize that he was a human being. I truly believe he was a real human being. Some would argue that he was an angel appearing. Some would say that he was, he was Jesus um, before the incarnation that shows up in the Old Testament. But I, I believe that he was a, a type to represent this eternal priest that would be Jesus. Because the author of Hebrews states very clearly that Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. So he's throwing that up for comparison. Verse 3 tells us that. Or the NIV says he's like the Son of God. So there, there's a comparison there. And God uses this man, Melchizedek, to foreshadow or to help us to look forward to Jesus who was coming. Several of his characteristics that would make the ideal priest are evident. He was righteous. He was peaceable because of his names. He was personal. And he was eternal. And so it's a brief picture that's imperfect of the future perfection that would come in Jesus. And the author encourages us and the readers in verse 4 to see how great this man Melchizedek was pointing again to the fact that there was an offering given to him or a tithe. And then he transitions in verses 9 and 10 to show that this order, this priestly order of this man, Melchizedek, is better than that of the Levites. And he says there in verse 9, one might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him seems a little puzzling. Maybe we can give a little bit of clarity to it. One author wrote it this way. Although Levi had not yet been born when Abraham paid the tithe, we can view him as paying the tithe to Melchizedek because the payment of the tithe by Abraham could be transferred to his offspring. Just another fact to show that this priesthood of Melchizedek was greater than that of the Levites. And this picture helps us to see that ultimately Jesus is the better priest than the priest of the Old Testament. Because the second thing you need to see, verses 11 through 19 really point us to this, is that the previous priests were temporary and inferior. There was a need for another high priest. Look at verse 11. If perfection... And think of that word as the idea of carrying, thing through, carrying something through to the completed state that God intends had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Aaron's priestly line had to be replaced because... It couldn't create 
godly character in people. It couldn't provide victory over sin. It wasn't able to produce perfection to reach that intended purpose God had ultimately to bring people directly into the presence of God. And so Aaron and the priests that followed after him were just imperfect pictures of what was coming. Their ministry was necessary. Those daily offerings of sacrifice provided a covering for their sin, but it was only temporary because when Jesus came, the great high priest, he provided holiness that only he could provide, forgiveness of sins, and ultimately direct access to God. And the law, just like the priest, was only temporary. And so verse 12, he points to the fact that if the priesthood changed, then there needed to be a change in the law. Verse 12, there's a change, when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law. Now you can read all of Psalm 119 and you find that, that God's law is good. God's law has a purpose, but it was a temporary provision for God's people until Jesus came. You can read Galatians 3.24 where Paul references that. And since the law set out the parameters for who would be priest and what the priest would do, that would need to change with the arrival of a great high priest who is Jesus. And according to the author, according to Scripture, God appointed Jesus as a priest. Even though he wasn't from the tribe of Levi, he's from the tribe of Judah. And verse 14 tells us that no one from his tribe was ever and so this new priestly order, if it was going to be after Melchizedek, and man, I wish there was a shorthand for the word Melchizedek, um, M, Mr. M, that if there was a change in the priestly order, then there would need to be a change in the law. And so the author revisits Psalm 110, verse 4, to remind us that Jesus is appointed not by law, but by an oath, by God swearing an oath, so that he could be the eternal high priest that could bring us into God's presence. That's why it gets so exciting to read Hebrews, is that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. You and I can come into God's presence. We don't need a priest. We don't need another person to do it. We can do it on our own, wherever we're at, whenever we want, whenever we need it. It's a great picture of how much God loves you. God never does anything halfway. He always sees things through to completion. And in verse 15, the author helps us to see this more clearly. He says this becomes even more evident. Or the NIV says it's made more clear. Because Jesus, God appointed Jesus to be the priest. And his credentials speak for themselves. He's perfectly qualified. It's more and more challenging in the day that we live to find a good doctor. It's hard to find people that you can relate to. And when we get right down to it, we're, we're needy people. All of us are. And we find in Jesus all that we need for any circumstance, any situation that we are needy, He is worthy, and He can meet all of our needs. And He's qualified to be such a great high priest because the grave couldn't hold him. 
because he rose. Or, as the author uses that wonderful phrase, indestructible life. And in verses 16 and following, he, he puts the indestructible life versus the legal requirements. Which priest would you rather have? Verse 16, who has become a priest not on the basis of the legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life? Most of us don't know what indestructible is unless we um, owned Samsonite luggage from the 1970s um, or maybe a, a pair of, of, of pants from the 70s or maybe even the uh, a couch or maybe the interior of your vehicle. Those are about as close to indestructible as we can understand. But a life that could not be destroyed even though all of hell was against it. And the law in the Old Testament, established those priests to be in their positions. And the Bible tells us that every one of those men died. And then another priest was appointed in their place. And it went on and on after Aaron, descendant after descendant, year after year. But Jesus was appointed. He wasn't established through a decree. He was appointed, and His priesthood continues forever because He lives forever. Or you could say it the way the author does, his life is indestructible. One commentator said it this way, he performed his duty as high priest by the power of life that not even death could dissolve, for he raised himself from the dead. And then on verses 18 and 19, he gives us a, com a comparison to help us understand even more. He says on one hand, you know, there's, weakness and uselessness. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and usefulness. Now, I don't know about y'all, but at least in my mind, when something better comes out that can help you do something, you know, usually the older, less useful one gets pushed back in the cabinet. That's because I'm a hoarder and I don't throw anything away. Um, but it just gets pushed back. One day, I discovered and it's a long name, but this stuff is great. And it's not a commercial. I don't get paid any money. But I, I discovered chemical guys, nonsense, colorless and odorless, all surface, super cleaner. It's a white liquid. comes in a spray bottle. You can't smell it. I don't know what's in it, and I don't really care. But it cleans. And it cleans well. You can spray it on your upholstery. You can spray it on the vinyl in your vehicle. And compared to everything else, in my opinion... Everything else is weak and useless. And it's just, it's great. And if you think about the law, you know, the best the law could do was do what? Point out sin. It was a tutor or a teacher. It could identify sin, but it couldn't do anything to cleanse sin out of anyone's life. And then here comes Jesus, the one who meets all the requirements of the law, the one who was better, the one who brought cleansing, forgiveness, hope, and life. And so you see on one hand you have weakness and uselessness, uselessness and on the other hand you have better hope to draw near to God. Look at verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Did you hear that? Jesus is the, the better hope. And in Him we can draw near toward God. Andrew Murray in his commentary on Hebrews, which is, is great reading, 
He says this man was created for the presence of God. That's what we were created with. Fellowship with God. Adam and Eve in the garden. Cool of the day to do what? Fellowship with their God. The nearness of God was to be their native atmosphere. It is this God is willing to grant each of us. It is this heavenly priesthood. It is this, this, make, this, it is this the heavenly priesthood makes possible. It is this God would have us seek. There's better hope to draw near to God because the third thing you see is that Jesus is the perfect and permanent great high priest opposed to temporary and imperfect. The verse there tells us that Jesus was made a priest with an oath and because of that he's what? The guarantor of a better covenant. Verse 21 helps us See there, this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Psalm 110. And God's oath was the basis of this better covenant, this new covenant. See, God gave a commandment for Aaron to be priest and for those priests that followed, but he swore an oath to initiate this order of Melchizedek that the new covenant would come that would be better than the old. Again, I don't receive any product um, kickbacks for this, but you may or may not be an Aldi fan, but you know they do have on their package the twice as nice guarantee. It says this, if you for any reason are not 100% satisfied with the quality of any Aldi product, Aldi will replace the product and refund your money. So you not only get another product, which you may or may not want, but they also give you your money back. And so that's about as good as we can get on this planet, is a money-back guarantee. But from the heavens, there's something better. Because Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, a new covenant. This is the first time in Hebrews that this word covenant appears. And we will find out in succeeding chapters when we get there that this new covenant depends completely on the saving work of Christ, the truth that He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And it's on the basis of his qualifications that are unquestionable that his guarantee, the one that God made, is certain. Because Jesus holds this priesthood permanently. Look at verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So there needed to be more because they died. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So because his life is indestructible, Jesus is the only one who would be the perfect, permanent high priest. But it gets better, verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, I said just a few minutes ago, God doesn't do anything, you know, part way. He sees everything completely to full. Our salvation is not a halfway experience. God is not satisfied with saving us from the flames of hell. He wants us to see our salvation grow and be complete until we arrive at the gates of glory. 
So when Jesus saves somebody, He saves the whole person from the whole of their sin for all of eternity. And the salvation that Jesus provides is permanent and complete. What does that mean? We're saved from the penalty of sin, which means He paid the price for our sin by His death on the cross. But right now as we're living this life and the day that we're in, we're being saved from the power of sin. We still struggle. We still mess up. We still blow it. But we have an advocate. We have forgiveness in Christ. And we are in this process of being made holy and that one day will be saved from the presence of sin. We'll be made new along with all things. You may have heard of the man Billy Sunday. Baseball player, avid drinker, who was saved by God and turned into a very flamboyant evangelist. And Billy Sunday would often say from the podium, that God saved him from the guttermost to the uttermost. God brought him out of the gutter and raised him up and used him. And God's still rewriting stories in 2023. That those that would feel that they are at the lowest low and the furthest from God, He is able to rise up to the heights of heaven, to the nearness that is enjoyable in the Father, because Jesus is always able to save, and He always saves completely. And so in verses 26 through 28, we have this exclamation from the author that Jesus is such a high priest. Verse 26, it was indeed fitting that we have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Or J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase, says it this way, Jesus is the high priest we need. Why? Because he perfectly fits the, the necessity that we have. He's holy, and we're not. But in him, we can be holy. He's innocent and unstained, and we are guilty and defiled. But in him, we are declared innocent and pure. Jesus is able to associate with sinners like us and remain pure and unstained. And even better, He can save and make us clean. He's exalted above the heavens. He's been given the name that is above every name. He's the only name that brings salvation. And Jesus has no need to offer sacrifice daily for Himself or others because He did it once for all when He offered up Himself. So when Jesus, the only Son of God, died and rose again, it was one time for all time for all that would trust in His name. Everyone who has been saved or will be saved receives this free gift of God's grace through Jesus. Who the verses tell us is a Son who has been made perfect forever. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he was already perfect. He didn't need to be made perfect. But he was declared perfect and right because of his finished work, because of his obedience. And his perfection enabled him, enables him to meet every human need that we have. He's able. And because he's such a great high priest, we can approach God with confidence. Saved 
to the uttermost, able to come into His presence. Through Jesus, there is complete salvation and unrestricted access to God. When we think about that, when it comes down deep into our hearts, it should bring hope to our hearts. It should bring hope that we would want to to spill out, to share, to show to everyone around us that's hurting. As we look around and we ourselves as imperfect people see other imperfect people that enjoy the same real life struggles we do, that there is the reality that they can find hope, healing, and redemption in Christ. And on top of that, all along the way, Jesus continues to pray for us. For us as imperfect people. He prays that we would receive the forgiveness and freedom that He bought with His blood on the cross. That we would enjoy the gift of confession and repentance. To to enjoy the refreshing that He offers that we would come to Him to find strength in our weakness, a shelter in our time of trouble, and encouragement and help when we have need. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 8. I want to read just Romans 8, 31 through 34 as we draw to a close, and then I give you a couple of, of points of application, and then we'll pray. But Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? And He's so for us that we have Jesus, the great high priest, on our side. And so since we have such a great high priest, here are two things that we can put into practice. First, Find hope and encouragement in Jesus every day. This is digging in to the Bible. This is spending time in prayer to understand more about the one who is our Savior that saves completely and who we have access to at any time. So find hope and encouragement in Jesus daily. Slow down in the midst of your busyness. Take a break from your worry and from your frustration and come here to Jesus. And then the second, hopefully, should springboard off the first. Offer hope and encouragement to someone else. We truly believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? If we truly find that hope and encouragement in Christ, why wouldn't we want to do anything but just share it with the people around us? We don't have to 
perfect words. In fact, it's probably better that you don't. It's imperfect people who have found a perfect Savior and have a living hope. Sharing that living hope with more imperfect people with hope that they will come to find salvation and peace in Jesus. Heard an illustration this week and I thought it was was fitting just that, you know, we have two hands and with one hand we are holding on to Jesus, but more so he is holding on to us, but we still have another hand. And what do we do with that other hand? We're extending it to others, hoping to bring them along, to bring them to the Savior through our word and through our witness. We have such a great high priest truly meets our needs. One who's holy, he's blameless, he's pure, he's set apart from sinners and he's exalted above the heavens. Let us draw near and find hope and encouragement and share it with those around us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are thankful for the goodness that you show us, that we are so undeserving of, but we are so thankful for. Lord, remind us often of what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. Help us to see the greatness of the high priest, Jesus, who came so that we might enjoy the benefit of complete salvation and might enjoy the daily privilege of unrestricted, unlimited access to you. Lord, help us to not let a day or a moment pass by that we're not desiring to enter into your presence. To receive your love, to hear your voice, to be changed and transformed, to be molded, to be helped, strengthened and encouraged. So Lord, help us to experience that hope and offer it to others. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen come toward the end of the service. We always take time to reflect on the words um, that God has spoken by Spirit and through His written word. And it's an opportunity that we have to respond. And, you know, maybe this morning it's just to, to set your heart again fresh on the hopeness, the hope that is in Jesus to see that He is available and willing to meet all of our needs according to the, His glorious riches. Maybe it's to just extend your heart to him for the first time and say, you know, I, I've done a lot of good things. I've done some religious things. But Jesus, I need you and I want you today. That moment of trusting faith, of salvation. Maybe it's just, you know, the idea that you've been, you've been here and God's saying, hey, this is where, you know, I want you to put down roots for this season, to plant with us and to join with us in, in fellowship as family. It's time for that. It's a time to pray. It's a time to, to listen to God's voice as he speaks to our heart piano is going to play quietly. It's your opportunity to respond. So let's listen to God and do what he tells us.
Amen. Well, it's exciting this morning. Um, many of you have probably know and met Tom and, and Lois Grimes. They visited for several weeks, and if you haven't noticed, Tom's got on a really cool pair of shoes this morning, and it's really awesome. But they have come this morning, not so I can point out that he's got bright colored shoes on, but they are they are coming. Why don't y'all stand up and join me? They are coming this morning um, to say that they would like to be a part of our church family. Um, they are coming on promise of a letter from South Park Baptist Church, and um, and so um, Tom and Lois, um, we are excited about that. And I just want to ask you, church family, what would be your you know your privilege in in receiving them? Um, feel like they're already part of the family. Now they're just making it official. So um, it's exciting. What would be to have an amen? Do I have a second amen? Have a second? Could I just everybody in favor to say praise the Lord, praise the Lord? And you can see that we're so excited and. Um, we just want to, to let you know that we, um, we look forward to seeing um, how God will use y'all as service in the body, and we hope that we will be a, a blessing to you. Um, we don't want to embarrass or make you feel awkward, but we do like to welcome folks in these situations. So um, when we finish, if you just want to kind of hang out up here at the front, people will want to walk by and shake their hands and just tell you how excited they are. But we truly are um, excited. But I will let you sit down for right now. And then after, after we sing, y'all can stand back up and we'll welcome them. So that is so exciting. We are just looking forward to that. I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, this afternoon, um, we will be celebrating um, a shower, a wedding shower for Mitchell and Anna. Um, Mitchell has been looking forward to this with great anticipation. Um, Mitchell, it's a come and go shower, but the come and go in doesn't apply to you. Um, it's, a, it's a come and stay until it's over. Um, but it will be fun. There will be food. And um, it will be in our back building, in the youth building. So it'll be nice and cool. It'll be well decorated. Starts at four from the six. Want you to be a part of that. Just remember, you know, if you, um, it's easier if you park over here by the dumpsters and come down the walkway um, to do that. You can come through the building, but that's usually the easiest way. That's four to six. And then also, um, our students, our youth are are swimming at the Stanleys. Um, so you know, for some of them, it's it's a double dip. It's it's shower and then swimming, um, and then shower again after you swim. I guess maybe. Um, but not a wedding shower. Yeah, some of y'all are following along. Um, some of y'all are just wishing I would stop talking. Um, but I'm not done yet. No. <laughs> Until Jeff cuts off the microphone, and then I will be done. Um, but no, that's that just lets you know that's this evening. So um, we look forward to, to just being a blessing to Mitchell and Anna, and hopefully um, you'll be there to pass on some words of wisdom and encouragement and enjoy some, some snacks as we get closer. We're about... We're, are we a month away, a little more than a month? A little more than a month away from the big day, so we're excited about that. I want to thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. The worship team is going to come up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. So we're going to sing together, and then um, after we have sang together a declaration of truth to the Lord, then we will be dismissed. So let's stand together and sing before we leave this morning. Amen. 